electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be able to make friends. I'm just here to try to make you some money. My job, not just to educate, but to teach and entertain. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. I don't want you ever, ever, ever to take your cue from the stock futures. That's what I was screaming at my screen when the S&P 500 futures soared early this morning on news of a cooler consumer price index number. Now, do not get me wrong. It's great that used cars and gasoline and medical care prices cooled down. We're making progress, real progress in the fight against inflation. But that doesn't tell us much about what the Fed will say tomorrow. They got that big meeting. So who are these yahoos taking the Dow and the S&P up 2% without knowing where Jay Powell stands? And we won't know until two, maybe 2.30 tomorrow. No wonder those gains mostly evaporated. Dow only finishing up 104 points. S&P gains 0.73%. More inflation-oriented Nasdaq jumped 1.01%. All of which brings me to a couple of important lessons for you in your portfolio. This morning, my friend Becky Quick asked me a question. The crosstalk I do between Squawk Box and Squawk on the Street. She asked me uh, whether I liked the CPI number. I said unequivocally, yes. We're beginning to see prices roll over. And that, you know, look, that's a big positive. But when we got to Squawk on the Street itself, and my co-host Carl Quintanilla asked me what I thought about buying the market up so high, I told him it's a total sucker's game to buy the stock market up 2% and you're going to be crying. (laughs) You can't take it up 2% because of one inflation number when it may not even be. It may not even be the number the Fed's targeting. You see, I think the Fed doesn't care as much about the CPI as the commentators make you believe. Not only that, I wonder if they want to roll back prices, not to where they were a year ago, because they're pretty darn elevated then, but to where they were when the pandemic got started. Well, I don't think they actually want it all the way back. I also don't think they'll be willing to declare victory until they push prices much lower than many are expecting. Oh, let me put it this way. The Fed has to start somewhere in the fight against inflation. Today's a good beginning. But if you're Jay Powell, you know what I'm calling this? 
the regular season. If he wants to make the central bank playoffs, he's got to crush inflation for good. And for that, he needs to beat not commodity inflation, not consumer price inflation, but wage inflation. Meaning he needs to do some real damage to the job market. But from what we can tell, that's just not happening. There's still too many jobs going begging, too many resumes being voraciously consumed, too few layoffs of talented people. Very little of this is captured in the consumer price index. I think he won't stop until he gets this wage inflation down. But other than that bizarrely high but very needed layoffs from meta platforms, we just haven't gotten them yet. Why? Because demand remains just too darn strong. And that's another problem for Powell. Sure, okay, we finally have housing somewhat slowing down, but not a lot. Look at the stocks. They're going higher. Although when mortgage rates soar, uh, it should slow them down. It's causing a bit of a ripple effect in furniture, hard goods, rugs, the like. But not, not enough to damage the retailers with the possible exception of Bed, Bath & Beyond. And by the way, they're pathetic, although I actually like mine. Certainly not enough to drive down prices back to where they were three years ago. And that's the point. See, people keep forgetting. It's not like he needs them down to where they were last year. He needs them much lower. Housing does indeed punch above its weight. But there's hope that with the yield on the 10-year Treasury going down, mortgage rates will go down with them. Unfortunately, that's actually totally antithetical to what Powell wants. He wants to try to crush housing prices. That's very hard to do when jobs are plentiful. Higher mortgage rates hurt housing, but higher unemployment is what really brings down the industry. In the end, Powell's trying to lower prices by taking interest rates up so high that people are less certain of their jobs. He wants us to collectively hunker down. And while today's CPI reading was a real improvement, it definitely was not by any means a hunker down number. Which brings me really to the core issue of the S&P 500, what you and I care about. There are so many stocks in this index that will fall if employment collapses. So it's not worth taking the stock market up aggressively at the opening on a soft CPI number. If you think Powell will be moved by a cooler than expected CPI figure, you have not been paying attention. He cares about wage inflation. The only way to consistently ensure, not just one month, not just two months, not just three months, that prices come down to affordable levels, is to create a surplus of workers. That's what contains wage inflation. And we're not going to get it from immigration. The law is too crazy here. See, PAL needs to create people. And you can't really do that. Otherwise, what you have to do is lay off people. What's so amazing about today's news flow, though, is that we've got... I mean, it's out of body, frankly. We've got this incredible scandal going on. Something like $34 billion missing from FTX because of Sam Bankman-Fried. By the way, arguably, I'm going to say it right now, the worst dressed criminal mastermind in history. A- alleged criminal mastermind. I only say that because maybe mastermind gives this guy too much credit. <laughs> you have to ask if this law school professor's parents taught him nothing. This is their worst nightmare. I am stunned that anyone trusted this guy with a couple of bucks, let alone billions. We know from the SEC's indictment that he used every, everyone as a part of his a con. Everyone, even his folks, lots of sports heroes, some business people who should have known better, the media in general, because you know why? He was ridiculously available at all times. Where's my cell phone? I could get him. Well, I, I think people, I, I think every single, every single media person had him on speed. Didn't everyone have him on speed dial? Every, right? Everyone. Yeah, I thought so. Now, we had some first-class embezzlement here. Hey, no need to say alleged. This guy had a real novel legal strategy. Avoid jail by confessing to the media preemptively. What I find most amazing, though, 
This was no ordinary scandal. Lots of people got hit. You know, a guy with eight criminal counts, and what happens to the medium he traffics in? Bitcoin. It goes up. Talk about a J-Pal prop. Either crypto is so rigged that it can't go down on horrific news, or some buyers are trying to take advantage of the fact that SPF's not around. One minute he's the J.P. Morgan of crypto. The next minute, he's just another schlub wearing a Gap t-shirt. This is just crazy. Today should have been a huge victory for Jay Powell on the speculation front because part of beating inflation is draining out the speculative juices in the economy. Yet there's still a ton of juice left to be drained from crypto. But it's nuts that these crypto coins didn't crater today. Can there be that many hackers out there using it for ransomware? Are there that many people who desperately need to launder money or just hate their own currencies that they'd rather store their wealth in fragile digital assets that could vanish overnight? So I think there were two things at play today. One is that there was nothing in the CPI that indicates that wage inflation has crested and unemployment started creeping up. And two is the most single most speculative asset in the universe, if I dare even call it an asset, actually went higher. Next thing you know, I'm not kidding, we'll see non-fungible tokens go higher or even fungible ones. <laughs> it's insane. We're not going to get a stock-free lunch here. We can rally, but we're not going to put it on 2% ahead of a Fed meeting because the average stock simply is not worth 2% more after a softer-than-expected CPI number. There were enough stocks that went down today over concerns that there'll be people who can't pay their bills, as there were stocks that went higher in tech because interest rates went down, and those two are strangely linked. Bottom line, without a well-deserved crash... In crypto and a sign of higher unemployment acknowledged by Jay Powell, this CPI reading has to be treated as a one-off number. A good one, sure, but it's a regular season win, not a playoff win. And Jay Powell, he still doesn't have home field advantage. I think we should take calls. I think we should go to Mike in Minnesota. Mike. Hey, Mr. Kramer. Mike, what's booyah. happening? Booyah. my call. Jimmy Chill says um, booyah back at you. Right on. My question's on MongoDB, ticker MDB. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. This this is one of those strange things, Mike. This quarter was good. Was it fantastic? No, it was real good. It was a good quarter. It wasn't the greatest quarter ever. It was a good quarter. But because we're so starved for good quarters when it comes to the kind of software that we're talking about, this is this enterprise software, everybody was happy, and the stock keeps going higher. To me, I would, to use the high parlance term that I learned in school, schnitzel a little. Without a crash in crypto and sign of higher unemployment, this CPI reading has to be treated as a one-off number. Now, on May tonight, hey, maybe you're looking for a good utility for your money in this market? I'll tell you the utility space could do the trick when I reveal the top performers in this space for 2022. Then Black Gold's been on a slide, but tonight I'm joined down to in the energy space to extract a clear view of where it could be headed next when I go off the charts. And then I got a good one for you, Yum Brands, most host of the most recognizable restaurants in your neighborhood. Tonight, I'm getting a taste of the company's potential after its investor day when I sit down with its glorious CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call 
at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. As we get closer to the holidays, I always like to go over the year's biggest winners. Tom for stocks that might be able to repeat that performance once the calendar flips to 2023. This year's pretty straightforward because when you break down the market into 11 big sectors, only a couple are up at all. Most of those have barely done anything year to date. The only exception is energy, which we talked about last night, and I still like. I love the energy bounce today. While the energy sector gained 56%, the next best performer comes in a very distant second. I'm talking about a group that I don't talk about much, but I do have them on a lot. That's the utilities. With the XLU, the S&P Utilities ETF, is up uh, only 1.5%. Of course, that's pretty darn good when you consider this has been an awful year for the averages. Dow off roughly 6%, S&P down 15% for the year. But honestly, the utilities are exactly what's supposed to work in an environment where Wall Street's terrified of a Fed-mandated recession. These are steady eddy companies that keep putting up the same solid numbers, whether the economy's good or bad. And they also tend to protect you with bountiful dividends that can cushion any potential downside, which is why I constantly put them on mad money. Why not? I'm trying to get it so everybody has a good portfolio, including some with dividends that you reinvest. That said, when you drill down into the individual utilities, not all of them are boring yield plays. There are some great growth stories in this industry and one that can deliver massively outperform the rest of the group. We've got a bunch of forward-thinking utilities that are building out cleaner sources of electricity like wind, solar, and nuclear, all of which got big handouts when Congress passed the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. Remember, despite the name, this was actually a massive climate bill. And that's been usually positive for their stocks. So can the utilities keep winning next year? Depends on what you see happening in the broader economy. If you think the Fed will keep bringing the pain, the house of pain. aggressively in order to tamp down on inflation, the utilities should do great. They're a textbook recession-proof cohort. Bye, bye, bye. But if you look at a cooler than expected CPI number today and the figure the Fed might not have to do as much damage to the economy, then the utility stocks might fall out of favor next year, simply because there'll be better opportunities elsewhere. Right now, they really don't have much competition, except for maybe the two-year Treasury, but th- that can change. 
if we avoid a harsh recession. However, some of these are special situations that should be able to keep winning regardless. Let's take the best performance one by one. The top performing utility, I'm going to go over here because I think it's really cool, is Constellation Energy. That's a nuclear-powered electric utility that we just had on the night, the show last night. Well, the stock that's up, can you believe it's up 82%? It's utility since it's being trading independently. Now, I've been recommending this one since March because I'm a big believer in nukes, nuclear power. It is our best option for carbon-free energy production in a reasonable time frame. Constellation Energy was spun off by Exelon back in February. And since then, the stock's been unstoppable. Unlike wind and solar, nuclear power works 24-7. Doesn't matter if it's snowy, rainy, it still works. And as CEO Joe Dominguez told us last night, people are finally realizing that it's essential to fighting climate change. Plus, he's working on some exciting stuff for the future, like a government-backed program to use nuclear power in order to create true green hydrogen, which is really expensive to produce otherwise. The only problem with nukes is they still need federal support, but that's exactly what they got with that Inflation Reduction Act. Starting in 2024, we'll have a tax credit for nuclear of up to $15 per megawatt hour. Maybe that'll convince people to do it. Constellation can also get some of the subsidies for hydrogen power. And if you remember, they can put up small reactors right next to their current reactors, use that tax credit, and make a fortune for people. Well, I don't see the stock repeating this year's 82% gain in 2023. I do think it's worth holding on to because the nuclear story is too compelling to ignore. And Constellation is the closest thing to pure play on it. Plus, there are so many funds that are looking for solid ESG plays. Consolidated energy fits the bill perfectly. It is the one. Hey, how about the second best performing fund? I got this call on this. I did not believe it. People told me to look into it. I said, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I don't get to everything. PG&E. That's the parent company of Northern California's Pacific Gas and Electric. Now, why did I not look into it immediately? Well, first, you might be surprised to see the thing up 32% year to date. Because for years, the reason I did is PG&E's been arguably the worst run utility in America. Its equipment's been responsible for so many wildfires in California, including the massive Dixie fire in the summer of last year. Just a few years ago, PG&E had to file for bankruptcy, specifically because of its wildfire-related liabilities. That's why I didn't like it. But the company emerged from bankruptcy, all new balance sheet in mid-2020, and got a new CEO, Patty Pope, who's fabulous, took over the beginning of last year. Now, PG&E is a comeback story. This is an F student that turned into like a kind of like a B-minus student. Wall Street loves that kind of improvement. PG&E is getting back to basics, operating reliably again without any major setbacks. Plus, you know what? They've made agreements with GM, Ford, Tesla on various electric vehicle charging projects. They're very forward-looking. All right, at this point, I'm a little reluctant to recommend the stock. Still worried about the legacy issues. It's already had a good run, but I'd love to have Ms. Pope on the show to hear about her plans to turn things around. I have all the other utility execs, Ms. Pope. Rounding out the top three is perhaps my favorite growth stock that is a non-tech play, and that's Sempra Energy, up nearly 25%. Now, this is another name we know well. It's the parent of San Diego Gas and Electric, SoCal Gas. If you go to, like, a dad's game, that's the San Diego Padres, it's right across the street. You'll see it. It's really cool. And Encore, which is a Texas transmission and distribution utility. I like Semper because it's also got a big natural gas pipeline network that handles many of our exports to Mexico, along with a stake in a liquefied natural gas export terminal in Louisiana. Now, we had CEO Jeff Martin on the show repeatedly. Under his leadership, Sempra gives you strong, steady results from its core regulated utility business with meaningful upside from the Nat Gas pipeline business. I keep thinking, I've got to put this in my chapel trust. 
Yet all of this from a stock that's trading at 18 times next year's earnings, solid 2.8% yield. I definitely think it's worth sticking with Semper, especially as they build out more liquefied neutral gas export capacity. The Europeans are desperate for our gas, and that won't change anytime soon. Jeff's doing more to export American natural gas than anyone else in the world right now, and he is a strategic thinker. Now, beyond the top three performers, I got some others. You know, I like American Electric Power. That's no news to you, right? Up more than 10% for the year. Consistent, right? Nice footprint, Rust Belt, Sun Belt, leading renewable energy presence. That said, I think it deserves more scrutiny as AP is about to have a leadership transition at the end of the year. You know, Nick Hagen has been on many times, and Nick is retiring. There, then there's NYSource. We have them on, too. One of the largest fully regulated utilities in America. I like it. Solid, straightforward story. Steady mid-single-digit earnings growth. 3.4% yield. Tell me you don't want something like that in your portfolio. Finally, there's one that I've written about periodically, and I was surprised it was actually down that your next year energy, which is both a normal electric utility, which fly power and light, and that could explain things, with a competitive clean energy business next to your resources, the world's largest generator of wind and solar power with a nice battery division. Next year's also got seven new plants in Florida, New Hampshire, and Wisconsin. While next year has been a tremendous long-term growth story, the stock got hard hit this fall because of worries about Hurricane Ian's impact on the Florida business. Uh, after hardening their infrastructure, though, next year it didn't lose a single transmission pole or tower during the hurricane. That's something. In fact, they had the fastest post-hurricane power restoration rate ever. I think next year it can get back into growth mode next year, which means it is indeed worth buying on any weakness, including this. Here's the bottom line. Utilities are a great place to hide when the economy is deteriorating. But the best of them work even when the economy is doing fine. So I want you to be thinking about Constellation Energy uh, because of all that terrific stuff they do with the environment. And Sempra because of that fantastic natural gas franchise and that fabulous leadership. There's the ones you want if you're running a green fund, too. Now, Sempra, by the way, is tremendous growth at a reasonable price. That is not easy to come by. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up, the streets cooled on oil, but Kramer hasn't called it quits on the commodity just yet. Why crude might have room to run, or gush, next. Here's a question. Have you ever been prescribed a medication? Most likely, yes. Well, what about this question? Did you understand how it worked? The way your medication works in your body shouldn't be a mystery. Learn how Vivgart, Fgart Tigamod Alpha FCAB works by visiting vivgart.com slash MOA. That's V-Y-V-G-A-R-T dot com slash MOA. Brought to you by Argenix. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
In recent weeks, Wall Street suddenly turned real negative on oil. But like I told you last night, I'm starting to feel a lot more sanguine about it. I think most of the people betting against crude here are simply trend chasers. And sooner or later, that kind of blows up in your face as a strategy. Maybe it's already started. Maybe that's why oil rallied quick 3% today. My view, we need to get more bullish on oil now that China's backed away from that ridiculous, nonsensical zero-COVID policy, allowing their economy to get rolling again, albeit with a flu like Omicron going all over the place. And the Biden administration is poised to buy Texas tea aggressively. Anytime the price dips below 70, call it a little bit of a floor because they need to refill the strategic petroleum reserve, which they have taken down the levels that we haven't seen to in decades. But commodities are always dominated by technical analysis, which is why tonight we're going off the charts with our absolute fave with the brilliant Carly Garner, a technician who's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading and the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading, a book I have read and I love. She's a resident commodities expert. Garner predicted the peak in oil over the summer at a time when everybody else thought it was going to go to 150 to 200. A few weeks ago, she told us it was time to get get more constructive, although she also warned that oil would have like this one little last leg down, taking the price anywhere from the mid-60s to the low 70s. Bingo! Sure enough, it fell to 70 at its lows on Friday. For rebounding, it's now already back to $75 and change. Can I just tell you that there was just a moment right here, okay, where it was at 69 and I was starting to tremble a little, but that's okay because I got fortitude. What makes Garner feel bullisher? First and foremost, she likes oil because money managers have finally started liquidating their positions en masse. You never get a bottom in anything until the bulls throw in the towel. That's exactly what's happening here. Garner points out that many money managers have remained net, uh, money managers have remained net long crude oil for several years, even though the COVID crash temporarily drove prices below zero. These speculators stay long. And they made a bundle when Russia invaded Ukraine earlier this year, causing prices to roar. I mean, that was a great time to be in. But oil peaked in early June, okay? And the price has been crushed in recent months. This has just been a hideous path. On the way down, money managers have been liquidating their position to the point where, get this, this is really the most important part of this whole piece. If you need to know one part of this piece, they have the lowest net long position in at least five years. That's right. They have the least amount of oil in control in the last five years. Garner knows this from the CFTC's weekly Commitments of Traders report, also known as the COT report. Okay. Commitment of Traders. Uh, and you can see that. And what, what we care about here is the green line. Okay. Because the green line, it represents the net holdings of large speculators, meaning institutional money matters. As of last Tuesday, they were net long about 230,000 futures contracts. Uh, to put that in perspective, back in 2018, they were holding as much as 700,000 net long contracts. Last year, their net long position went as, low, as high as 600,000 contracts. Earlier this year, it was still almost 400,000 contracts. They've now reduced their long position dramatically in a fairly short period of time, which is why some, when you hear, why you hear sometimes you hear that this term, the recent oil sell-off described as a speculator liquidation event. That's what we just had. Why does it matter? Because as Garner notes, when you see these oil bulls getting wiped out, that's a positive development for oil prices. She says you got to go long back to 2016 to find a period where large speculators wound down their net long positions to around 200,000 futures contracts. When we got to that level, the oil futures quickly rallied from the low 30s to the high 70s before rolling back over again. Now, that is why Garner believes most of the liquidation could now be behind us. And if we get any more positive action like we had today, those same sellers might feel compelled to start buying again. 
And that would be purely out of FOMO, okay? What would happen is, is they'd say, I'm not missing this next move. She wouldn't be surprised if that can fuel rally as much as 20 to $25. That could take us back to the mid-90s. I'm with her. All right, now, that's not the only reason Garner's feeling confident. Check out this weekly chart of West Texas crude. I know it looks a little confusing. We're going to spend some time on it. If not for two successive black swan events, the COVID crash and the Russia invasion of Ukraine, Garner thinks oil would have steadily worked its way higher in a bullish channel that began in late 2019. Here's the bullish channel, okay? After each of these events, oil went back into the channel. Notice that which currently has a floor of support at $70, you can see that, and a ceiling of resistance at 95. We just bounced off the floor on Friday, and again yesterday. That is so significant. In her view, the price of crude should be bouncing between these levels as long as the world's not going insane. And right now, we've got a bit of a, let's call it a modicum of sanity. Even if the $7 floor doesn't hold, Garner points out that the 200-week moving average currently stands at $65. And now you look at this. That's the 200-week, $65, which gives oil another floor. That's why she's been saying that seems so low could be 65 Things tend to get messy over the holidays because it's, such, it's very thinly traded. So she wouldn't be surprised if we get one last probe lower down, maybe to 65 But overall, she thinks the uptrend is intact. So it might just go like that. Don't be fooled if it happens. Might be a good chance to buy the oil stocks. Plus, now, I want you to take a look at the relative strength index at the bottom. This is the RSI. This is an important momentum indicator. When oil got slammed in September, the RSI um, fell to 35, okay, suggesting a mildly oversold market. This month, oil sold off to even lower levels, yet the RSI only fell to 37. You know what that's called? That's called a bullish divergence. Crude made a lower low. But the RSI made a higher low. That's often a sign that selling is starting to dry up. So we get low, and this, we get the, you can see where, where you didn't get that, the low that you thought you should get. And that meant that people were saying, you know what, this decline is probably a phony decline. That's how people, remember I told you at the beginning that people are trend followers in oil. They look at something like that and say, oh, maybe I should start buying. It really is that simple. Okay, now we're going to zoom in on the daily chart to see if that helps. Well, the long-term trend on the weekly chart was bullish. The short-term trend on the daily chart is indeed bearish. But even this more negative channel gives oil a floor at 70. Here we go again with the $70 floor. And a ceiling at 88. Very close to what we saw on the weekly chart. When you see this kind of overlap, Garner says it means that these levels are important. She also likes that the 200-week moving average at $65 aligns with a significant pivot price here, where the previous rally started in late 2021, meaning a dip down to that level might turn things around. So in other words, once again, do not freak out if we get a little decline here. There will be, but that's going to be a buy signal, not a sell signal, right in there. Garner sees two ceilings of resistance here, one at $88. We can go up like this. And then uh, the downtrend, another $95. Well, it'd be Nirvana if we got up there, based on where oil peaked last month. If we really do get a rally, she thinks it, it will likely stumble somewhere between those two levels. But if oil can break out above 95 then we might get a massive rally all the way to the next major resistance, which is 105 Garner doesn't expect that to happen, but it's a possibility that the fundamentals change for the better. And they would change for the better, for instance, if we started to see more use out of China. Finally, I want you to take a look at the relative strength index. This thing just dipped below 30. Okay, this is the black line. 
uh, meaning we got a truly oversold reading. Since then, oil's rapidly rebounded over the last couple of days, including today, which is exactly what we should expect. When crude gets oversold, it's almost always followed by a rally. We saw that in August and November of last year, along with the past September. Each of those produced a $20 run. We want to be in for the $20 run. That we can catch by owning some of the best oil stocks. Here's the bottom line. The charges interpreted by Carly Garner suggest that oil speculators have been mostly wiped out. So it's time to buy the dips because she wouldn't be surprised at all if crude can rally another 20 bucks from here. I agree, which is why we're looking to add to our oil holdings in the charitable trust whenever we get a chance. And I'm going to talk aggressively about that at Thursday's 12 o'clock club call. Let's take calls. Let's go to Jeremy in New Jersey. Jeremy. Booyah. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call, man. How you doing? I am real good. How about you? Hey, I appreciate all you do. And uh, I had a question for you on hydrogen. And uh, I'm looking to to invest in a quality hydrogen stock, you know, with the transition the economy has been making into different types of energies. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on plug power or just a quality hydrogen stock. No, I decided plug power is too speculative. They've consistently failed to deliver. When I say consistently, I mean, like, they're the most consistently inconsistent company I have come across. I I think that sounds oxymoronic, but trust me. I think you got to buy Lindy. Lindy's got hydrogen. Lindy knows what it's doing. Lindy's consistent. Lindy's owned by the Charitable Trust. We do some great stuff on Lindy. I'm going to be talking about Lindy on the Thursday conference call. No to plug power. Too inconsistent. All right. The charts suggest that the specs have been wiped out. The speculators, right? So it's time to buy the dips. So this dip must be bought. I agree. Maybe we get a 20-point move. Hey, much more Mad Money Head, including my sit-down with Young Brands, fresh off its incredible investor day. Could it be your portfolio's meal ticket heading into the new year? It could be a habit. <laughs> Don't miss my exclusive. Then Sam Bankman free, more like Sam Bankman fraud. Federal prosecutors charging FTX founder Sam Bankman fraud with, well, okay, free, with multiple counts of fraud related to crypto exchanges collapse. Just the day after he was arrested in the Bahamas. I'm gonna tell you why there's still plenty of work to do when it comes to crypto. And, Actually, none of the crypto people are going to like this at all. And all your calls rapid fire tonight is of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. What's behind the incredible rally in one of my favorite stocks, Yum Brands, parent of KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and the much smaller, but you'll be hearing a little bit about it, Habit Burger Grill. After spending most of this year drifting lower, Yum Bottom at just under 104 a couple of months ago, only to come roaring back ever since. As of today, it's back up to 130 bucks. This despite the fact that the company reported a mixed set of results that month, uh, although the same sort of sales came in higher than expected, which is what I care about, all right? So what's the bull thesis pushing this one higher? Earlier today, Yum held this gigantic Investor Day event here at the New York Stock Exchange, laying out a compelling growth story. They're talking 5% unit growth, 7% same, uh, system sales growth long-term. These are raised from where they were before. So we got to take a close look with David Gibbs, the CEO of Young Brand Steady Hand. Mr. Gibbs, welcome back to Bad Money. Uh, great to be here, Jim, and great to be here yep. live and in person. Okay, now you are opening them like Ben. You've got uh, 50,000. There are a point in this presentation, which was ideal. 100,000? You could have 100,000 stores? Yeah, I think we're trying to attack that myth that we don't have room to grow. We got unbelievable room to grow, and you're seeing that in the numbers we're putting up. 3,000 net new units per year, 
one new store every other hour around the world. Does anyone grow like that? No, I think we're setting records in the industry. I think you are too. Now, you have been around for a long time in this company. When you started, when it came public, it was a domestic company largely. You've switched the equation entirely. That's right. We've had an incredible journey where we went from a U.S.-focused company just starting to expand internationally to now clearly the vast majority of our stores and our profits come from overseas and that we have tremendous growth overseas. But the U.S. is still a part of that growth equation. We have ability to build all of our restaurants in the United States. I know, but look, let's say you go to Vienna. The craziest thing, it's your town. I mean, I'm talking about picked a town out of nowhere that I went to Vienna. I said, I, I was with my wife. I said, oh, my God, it's everything we want. We were right across from a beautiful hotel, right across from KFC, jammed, line. Where, how come it travels to these places so well? Yeah, the amazing thing about our brands is we're in 155 countries. Everywhere we go is our town. Really, we work everywhere. When we get the right franchise partners, and we have some of the best in the world, uh, our brands can come alive in ways that just nobody can compete with. Well, let's deal with that. Oh, you had a wild one in India. You got a franchise partners killing it, right? Yeah, well, we have two public companies uh, that are partners of ours there, and then uh, the Berman family, who you know well, all the stuff they've done in India. They're growing our three brands in India like you can't imagine. We opened 400 units in India over the last 12 months. We're now at 1,600 <laughs> stores. So that was on a base of 1,200. That's, that's pretty fast growth, uh, and that's not going to stop. All right, so I know you are a stickler, and every, one, every number be good. KFC is fantastic. The numbers are great. Taco Bell is unbelievable. You turn that around. I remember the days when that was one. I said, oh, what are they going to do? But you got some great inexpensive. Two bucks. The Taco Bell team is doing a great job of giving something for everyone. If you're a consumer that's worried, counting your pennies, you've got the Cravings Value menu at Taco Bell. If you want something more indulgent, a little bit more premium, you've got the grilled cheese burrito, which I think is sitting right next to it. I'll polish that off. And you made them look great. You made them look great. I still worry about Pizza Hut. You tell me it's not a crowded field, but it's very difficult to get the kind of growth that we'd like. Yeah, there's some great news on the Pizza Hut front. They've come through the last few years right. really strongly that strengthened the business as they've moved to more off-premise. Today, we shared the fact that intra-quarter, Pizza Hut is one of the drivers of our strong performance. Well, that's terrific. Now, that's I like that the Mexican pizza. right there. Yeah. Now, I think habit is great, and I'm trying to figure it out. When can you blow out habit? Because it's really a fabulous offering. Yeah, we're going to get it right. But, you know, the thing about Yum! is we're always going to help make sure our franchise partners are set up for profitability. We're going to get everything right about habit before we blow it out with our franchise partner. Okay, and franchise partner, I guess I can't just go in there and be a franchise partner. i got to have the 3C. Yeah, that's right. 3C partners, well-capitalized, committed to the business with the capability to run restaurants. So if I came to you and I said I'd want one, would you have to see my resume of all the others I've ever run? Because you don't want any weak franchise. And that's why during COVID, you didn't lose anybody. That's right. We had great franchise partners. And in fact, we came together with our partners and even strengthened our relationships. But you've got a restaurateur background. You probably <laughs> so, It's have, not easy. I know you're committed. So. <laughs> I am committed. But the one thing, I can barely afford people. How can you afford people? Can you get them? Are things eased up a little around this country? I think things are definitely getting better, both they on are. the inflation front uh, and on the labor front. We're seeing more applications for team members. And okay. I think could things also, are starting to settle down. Would you like be a member of the Federal Reserve, too? Or are you just sticking to the restaurant business right I'll, now? Yeah, I think I got my plate full already. I'll leave that to the Federal okay, Reserve. Okay, so how about managers is easy to keep them because I know a good manager gets stolen. Yeah, the reality is paychecks is only one part of the equation. Okay. What we offer at Yum, as you know, is these pathways for managers to go all the way to franchisees and create generational wealth. And our best franchisees 
take care of all of their team members and their managers and create that environment where they can expand their responsibilities and grow their careers. That's what's great about Yum. We have one and a half million jobs around the world. I think it's unbelievable. And every one of those is a job that could lead to something bigger in our system. But what's a shame is we have, I'm not going to be political, but bear with me. We have a series of presidents now who believe that unless you're a computer scientist from Stanford, you're not going to have a long and happy life and have a family. The fact is, the route to success for many people in this country who didn't go to Stanford is to do what you're doing. You're the opportunity. Absolutely. Those are the heartwarming stories in our business, and I see them every day. People that have worked their way up in our system and you know, had amazing careers, developed their skill set in a way that they can lead big businesses. Our chief operating for, officer for Taco Bell, Mike Graham, started in the restaurant. Well, that's fabulous. Now, one last thing. Uh, a lot of people in the world think, a lot of people in America think, you know what, we're not welcome. These are American brands, but they like them, which means to me, you're a bit like Howard Schultz was at Starbucks. You're a bit of a brand ambassador. How are we doing around the world? Well, the great things about our brands is, yes, they're Western brands. Yes. But we do an amazing job of bringing them alive as local brands as well. We have local franchise partners that run the brands. We source things locally. We contribute to the local economy. We help the local community. So our brands, you know, really um, are part of those local countries we operate in, 155, but yet we're Western brands. And that's a little bit of the magic of Yum! Brands. Well, you are precisely at this moment the kind of stock that people should own. you got inflation going down a little bit. You can be able to get the jobs filled. you got quality food, and you got growth. That's all you can ask for with a company, with a stock, and with a CEO. Yum! Brand CEO David Gibbs. Thank you, David. Really great to see you. you Congratulations on 25. Everybody's back here for the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It is time. Time for the light round. And then the light round's over. Are you ready, Ski Dad? Time for the light round. Because we're going to start with David in Maine. David. Hello, Jim. Long time, first time. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Thank you for calling in, David. What's going on? I'm considering Church and Dwight for a small long-term hold. But it feels I think Church and Dwight's a good look- long-term position. It's a growth stock, but I've got to tell you, some of the other growth stocks in the same category. I mean, I saw J.M. Spucker today. They're, that's a very good company. I think it's a little bit cheaper. Let's go to Barry in Florida. Barry! Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Barry Swift here, Sarasota, Florida. The beaches, but home base, Lafayette, Indiana, home of the Purdue Boilermakers. Well, excellent. Good to have you on. What's going on? Well, uh, I'm wanting to know if Lumina Technologies, which you embraced about a year ago, is a buy at this time. No, no. Uh, it's had a couple of series of, of very bad quarters and. Uh, there's no excusing how they're doing. I don't understand why they're doing this badly. I'm very sorry. Let's go to Davey in New Jersey. Davey. Yes, uh, Jim, I'd like to, first of all, give a shout-out to your staff, Stephanie and Allison, to get through to you is a wonderful thing. And I'm they're unbelievable. And I'm on a company called Camping World Holdings, CWA. Okay, now i got to tell you, this is run by Marcus Lemonis, and he's a guy I want to do business with. I think he's done great, and the stores are terrific, and I say it's fine to buy. And uh, by the way, I'm going to throw in a, a, a twofer. I actually like a buy. I like best. I like um, I like Best Buy. I, no three. I like Dicks too. All three of them. Dicks, Camping World, Best Buy. They all work for me. Let's go to uh, Corey in South Carolina. Corey. 
Hello, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. And You're I want so to welcome. say your staff is really good. Your staff is great. And my I God, wanted to, like my staff. I wanted to ask you about Soterra Health, SHC. I can't. I do not know these guys. I do not know Soterra Health. I know Kotara, the energy company. I don't know Soterra, the health company. But we'll have to do some work. I'll get, I'm going to get with my staff. They'll know. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, the SEC's issued a clear opinion on the House of Cards built at FTX. What's this mean for a crypto kingdom beset by other sandcastles? Find out next. When you look at the language in the SEC's press release charging Sam Bankman free with fraud, it seems pretty clear. But a quote, we allege that Sam Bankman fried built a house of cards on a foundation of deception while telling investors that it was one of the safest buildings in crypto, end quote. It goes on, quote, the alleged fraud committed by Mr. Bankman-Fried is a clarion call to crypto platforms that they need to come into compliance with our laws, end quote. But the implication behind these words might not be well understood, and I didn't hear anyone talk about it today. For too long, the SEC had to look the other way on crypto, because there were too many crypto advocates, both on the commission itself and in Congress. They made it very difficult for the SEC to go full jackboot against the dirtiest crypto outfits, the ones that pretend to be brokers or banks, but in reality just do whatever they want. It's absurd. You really think that the new king of crypto, CZ, the co-founder and CEO of Binance, is any more compliant with regulations than the old king of crypto, who's probably headed to prison? Nobody knows what that guy's doing. The government doesn't even know where he is. I call Binance not in compliance, although at least the guy's smart enough to go into hiding. How about Tether, a stablecoin owned by some outfit called Ifinex, which uh, out of Hong Kong, which also owns Bitfinex crypto exchange. Now, this is a $65 billion fund that's meant to be like a money market fund. It's where you can store your cash, and it's supposed to be kind of a, sort of pegged to the dollar. If the SEC wanted to find out what's in it, Let's say, let's say they want to find out what's in a Fidelity money market fund. They'd simply pick up the phone and Fidelity will tell them chapter and verse or fear just the heavens bursting upon them. Good luck getting that out of these tether managers. Not in compliance. Or how about Coinbase? On the surface, it looks like a totally upfront outfit. It's even got a normal stock. But Coinbase has had huge problems with crypto asset insider trading. It's also been somewhat rambunctious about the SEC, and it traffics in 243 different coins that are unregulated, 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 not in compliance. Now, I'm not trying to warn you away from crypto as an asset class. That's up to you. But, man, if you want to play crypto, I'm begging you at least to keep money in an outfit that's regulated, just like you do with a regular bank or broker. Although, sadly, that's hard to find because the whole industry seems to thrive on its belief that the rules don't apply. You don't want to end up in a situation where there's a run on your crypto bank and you never see your money again. Of course, if these platforms comply with securities laws, they'll be fine. But are they? When you see what FTX was getting away with, it's hard to believe. Now, maybe SEC Chief Gary Gensler will be stopped from going after these non-compliant crypto firms. There are way too many politicians, both parties, who've taken tons of money from this industry. I would love to say they're all bought and paid for, but some of them actually might be true believers, which is even worse. Either way, 
They've bent over backwards to slow down any crypto regulation. They've done it in the shadows. You haven't seen it. They often talk about the importance of financial innovation. We're promoting blockchain technology, which somehow became synonymous with all these firms. They don't want to fall behind other countries. To which I say, if blockchain is so great, why doesn't Alphabet use it? Or how about Amazon or any major company? It's been around for years now, so how come nobody outside the crypto space is using it to make money? Let me put it this way. Financial innovation may sound good, but not when it means they're just inventing new ways to commit wire fraud. That's why I want regulation, real regulation. When it comes to my bank account, I don't want caveat emptor. I want protection for the government. Sure, these cryptocurrencies were up today, to which I say this is your chance to sell, sell, sell. That's why I welcome Chairman Gensler stepping up to the exchanges and filing perhaps a sweep of cases against them. Gensler's using Sam Bankman-Fried's case to defy those who have blocked the SEC from taking action, and they have. He's obviously become Prometheus Unbound. Time to ask yourself, what protection do you have? Can you handle getting a note saying you can't get your money back or that you might get it if you just hold on and then you find out that their firm went bankrupt and there's no one at the other end of the phone? If you can, be my guest. But please, 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 just remember that blockchain and DeFi aren't guarantees. It turns out they're just buzzwords. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.